welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsource Podcast Network. And it is a new year, uh, but it's not a new show. <laughs> I don't, that was a terrible opening. Welcome to 2022, everyone. Um, we are entering the third year of this podcast's existence here that the anniversary the official anniversary will come later in 2022 but for now third year three years strong and we are kicking it off uh this year with uh one hefty month of shows for all of you if you saw the announcement um on new year's eve um you definitely already know but for those that don't um this month in january we are going to be doing double the episodes every week so you'll get an episode every Thursday today, and also every Friday tomorrow. Part of that is because, um, one, there's just uh, so many people that um, deserve a spot on this show and that I want to talk to and highlight and all that fun stuff. Um, and the timing just kind of worked out to have a couple an, an extra day open for the month, and that was really cool. Um, and secondly, because we are bringing back uh, Journal January, our theme month here, where we talk to queer members of the wrestling media. So it's not just wrestlers this month, but we're also talking to media members and all that good stuff. Starting today with our first edition of Journal January, welcoming the lovely Lizzie Flanagan, aka Lizzie Lucha, to the show. Now, of course, Lizzie won the 2021 QWI Award for Best Writer slash Journalist. Um, and has been killing it with Near Falls and Lucha Central for a while, made her debut with Fan Fight and uh, Fightful last year as well. So a very, very promising uh, push to start her, her career here over the past couple of years. But she has some aspirations, for sure, for what she wants to do in the pro wrestling world. And we get into that a little bit, along with some of the more um, fun antics... <laughs> that she's gotten up to on Twitter recently. Uh, and I can't wait for all of y'all to hear that that conversation that we had. But of course, we can't get to that before talking about kind of the week in pro wrestling because, you know, we took the last week of 2021 off from the show, mainly due to uh, computer issues that have finally been worked out. Hence why you're hearing my voice today. Um, but also... Um, that break, it, it it helped in terms of like giving me just a chance to sit back and relax for a minute. But the wrestling world told me I can't do that because Tony Khan wants to tweet about Big Swole, and I I'm sorry uh, that like so many others in in the wrestling world and wrestling fandom were immensely uh, upset by that comment from Tony Khan. I'm you know, I don't necessarily feel like I'm the best person to speak to that experience just because, you know, I am not black. Um, but I would definitely say that go listen to the Grap City pod that uh, Righteous Reg, Will, and uh, Phil did um, on the days coming after that tweet because I think they addressed that topic very, very well um, in a way that I would not be able to do because of my perspective what i can say though and it's something i've been very vocal about 
online when after post this Tony Khan tweet, it speaks to something that I've noticed with AEW um, over the past year or so, where you know a lot of people are very reticent to um, speak. People within the company, let me clarify that, are reticent to speak about you know big on camera things or or big signings or you know big news stuff or various other like sometimes injuries they've commented on COVID openly on the show and on twitter about um about wrestlers um being affected by that shows being affected by that um but they've been incredibly silent when it comes to some of the more I don't really want to say cultural because it's not a cultural issue per se, but whenever speaking about incidents that um, kind of run against the the idea of uh, being a progressive promotion um, as they uh, as they voice themselves to be, um, and what I mean by that is you know the us seeing little to no addressing of issues affecting marginalized communities that have happened, whether it be on AEW programming or involving AEW talent. Um, you know, obviously the entire uh, Cole Cabana situation from earlier this year still feels unrectified, honestly, in, in a lot of ways. And then, of course, we can't mention this without mentioning, you know, what happened with Anthony Bowens and Nyla Rose um, during AEW Dynamite broadcast live on television whenever you had you know, homophobic and transphobic language levied towards them. Granted, all kudos to Nyla and, and Anthony for handling those situations in the way that they did. But to see no response from Tony Khan publicly, whenever he has been very apt to do so, um, and to see no response really from the company in, in addressing that as well publicly, just as a whole. Um, and by company, I mean the, the people running the company, not the, the wrestlers. We do, you don't get angry at the wrestlers over this stuff. This is not their issue to hold. You know, This is specifically looking at Tony Khan not calling out these audience members, or the company not calling out these audience members, and bringing attention to the fact that this stuff isn't tolerated at their shows. Um, and... Whatever you don't voice that, it almost gives it, it has the effect of giving some people a, a pass for saying like, okay, well we can do this and we won't get called out. You know, yeah, I know they throw the transphobic fan out of this of the arena after the, what happened with Nyla, but you know, you have to put put your voice into action in that way to try and keep these things from happening, even uh, in, in a more tangible way. And what he said about Big Swole, all the, the tactless response from Tony Khan kind of speaks to, I think, how Tony Khan approaches some of these situations at times. And I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not trying to assume anything here, but the fact that, like, that moment felt like a moment for him to take a dig at Big Swole in, in that way, um, I don't know, it says a lot. It says a lot. And of course, you know, it says a lot about somebody in probably one of their, like, worst moments maybe like they might have that might have been a response out of frustration out of anger or whatever but honestly those qualifiers don't matter you know because you're you're a billionaire you're an owner of a company your words carry weight with all of the people majority a, a good amount of the people rather that tune into AEW 
on a weekly basis. And, you know, if you are putting that out into the world and other people are going to feel that, and we've already seen what's happened with that, you know, with Big Swole getting all of the, the death threats and the terrible, terrible messages thrown her way, and then the people that are supporting her getting the same, you know, like Lola and, and DM Kiddo and, um, and others, like, it's just, it's, it's uncalled for, honestly. And, and the fact that that tweet is still up as of my recollection, um, is just gross, honestly. Um, yeah, but yeah, definitely for sure on, on what happened specifically with this situation, though, go listen to Grab City, go listen to any of the, the many great, uh, black voices in wrestling media and wrestling podcasting. Andrews Hell is another one, like, you know, seek those voices out if you don't completely understand why this is just hurt every single person um, that has voiced an opposition to what Tony Khan has said is terrible. Um, that being said, I'm stoked to see Big Swole and Trisha Dora in February. That's going to be an awesome match. Thank, Shout out to Fight Club Pro for giving us that banger right there. Um, I do also want to take a minute to thank uh, Grit and Glitter uh, for having me on for their first show of 2022. That was a really cool uh, thing. And go check out that episode dropped on Tuesday. So you got a whole smorgasbord of uh, wrestling podcasts from kind of this this little sector of, of the media world to, to, to check out this week. Uh, it's going to be fun. Um, one last thing before we get on to the, sh the interview with Lizzie. Um, congrats to Jake Atlas for coming back to pro wrestling and uh, signing with all elite wrestling. You know, uh, this is a huge, huge uh, moment for, for Jake. And I'm glad that he is, you know, one come back to wrestling felt comfortable enough with where he's at mentally to come back to wrestling and to continue doing what he is so good at and, and what he enjoys in a place that, you know, he will has, he has a much, much better chance of thriving than uh, WWE, honestly. So that that was awesome to see. I know there's reports that he might have suffered a knee injury at the Rampage tapings tonight. Hopefully, crossing fingers, um, we're all good there. But congrats to Jake. Um, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to get to our conversation now with Lizzie Flanagan, a.k.a. Lizzie Lucha. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. We are kicking off 2022. We are kicking off Journo January here on the show with uh, an honor, an honor winner, honestly. One of our very honors here, the winner of the QWI uh, Award for Best uh, Journalist slash Writer of the Year for 2021. She writes for Near Falls. She writes for Legion Central. Uh, she's very, very prominent uh, in certain sectors of wrestling Twitter. Um, please welcome Lizzie Flanagan, a.k.a. Lizzie Lucha, to LGBT in the ring. How are you doing today, Lizzie? Good, thank you. Awesome. Now, I'm excited to have you on, not just because like you're the first person that's that you know has won a QWI honor to be on the show, post the awards and all that fun stuff, but... I really enjoy the, the the perspective that you bring to pro wrestling at times, um, you know, whether it be like the humor that you find in it and you put out there, a lot of the, the tweets about like the relationship with you and your 
dad about pro wrestling. There's always a good for a laugh. But then, like, you get into uh, your one of my personal favorites, like your series talking about the uh, the meaning behind uh, luchador's masks and that sort of thing, which is all a huge deal, obviously, in the lucha world. And I don't know. There's just a lot of interesting aspects that you like to focus on whenever you're writing about pro wrestling that intrigue me a lot. That's good. <laughs> it's good for yourself <laughs> to be interesting. <laughs> no, I'd say it's, it's more than good. I mean, it's because, like, to me, I don't see a lot of people, especially when talking about like lucha and and the mass and everything. Like, I feel like sometimes the you know media coverage of lucha in the states isn't anywhere near the the level of prominence that that we see with you know more american style companies and more american style workers um and to see not just that being a, a focus for you but to take some of the more um oh what's like magical realism sort of mm-hmm. type stuff that goes into lucha and, and a lot of the, the identities and and personas that lucha brings out of people and putting a focus on those things and, and kind of tying that into a pro wrestling mindset. It's like really interesting for me, like coming from, from my background as well. So those reads are always fun. I think last night in prep for this, I went back and read the one you wrote about uh, great O'Conn, which is a near and dear one to me yeah. <laughs> because like growing up, I watched, I watched a ton of those, um, of those hopping zombie, uh, hoppy vampire movies and uh as soon as like as soon as i saw uh okan's get up i'm like oh okay that's exact i know exactly what's happening here i didn't recognize it at all because we don't really watch zombie movies because my mom grew up in a funeral home so she hated anything to do with like <laughs> the zombie genre because she yeah because when you have a morgue in your house it's kind of because her parents were undertakers <laughs> <laughs> so it's very like she never showed us anything so we just never like it wasn't a genre i grew up on Mm. So, yeah. I don't a- <laughs> I don't blame her honestly <laughs> like, that might hit a little too close to fucking home yeah <laughs> lord no but um well I want to get and talk to more more about the idea behind like that series for you but you know a lot of a lot of uh the people that come on the show pretty much all of us we all have an origin story when it comes to pro wrestling and I'm curious like when did pro wrestling become a something that you found yourself heavily invested in um it was like I have very faint memories of it um when I was a toddler because my dad grew up a really big wrestling fan um but then my mom actually banned it from our house (laughs) because he was teaching us wrestling moves oh wow yeah my mom wasn't a fan of her like three-year-old kid uh jumping and giving elbows off the couch I guess Uh, (laughs) But um, so that's like, I have like very faint memories of like the, the staticky TVs and like the, I guess was that, that was the ruthless aggression era. Um, yeah, and I, I like didn't really register it. Um, so then I kind of fell away from it and like my dad did too. And then it was the day the Golden Lovers reunited. <laughs> I remember it was the day I became a wrestling fan because I like was looking at the combat sports section of Twitter um, and I saw it trending and I was like lovers <laughs> and I was just like entranced immediately because yeah I don't I think I was 17 or 18 um 
but it was like I was looking for um gay representation in media and like everything that I liked um so for it to come out of wrestling I was like that's crazy <laughs> but yeah then it, was, and then it became a snowball from there yeah I I feel like that's a lot of people that, that I've spoken to that either were like dormant fans or had never really thought about pro wrestling as something that they uh, would be into the golden lovers reuniting would definitely seem like a catalyst for a lot of people yeah <laughs> it's oh. funny because i like i kind of became a fan backwards almost because <laughs> it was <laughs> i started with new japan um and then it was like i would watch like being the elite um before i was watching like raw or smackdown um and then from like the Bucks matches, I found the Lucha Brothers. And then with the Lucha Brothers, you get introduced to the whole world of Lucha Libre. Um, and then, yeah, so it was kind of like, yeah. I, and then, yeah, one story was like, I found um, out who the four horse women were before the four horsemen. So that was an interesting conversation with my dad. <laughs> I, I love that, honestly. Like, it was just, yeah, because I did everything backwards. Like I forget, like, <laughs> I, however you can link the four horsewomen to um new japan probably <laughs> you're like someone's <laughs> friend and then or maybe like candace Lorray to yeah but i just remember my dad being like oh you know charlotte's dad was a wrestler too and i was like oh they mentioned him sometimes <laughs> <laughs> like that was just like yeah i mean but that's the beautiful thing that i that that i find with pro wrestling fandom is that like even if you are like coming into something where you don't know a ton about like the history of it, it's there to be discovered. And a lot of, you know, for better or worse, sometimes a lot of modern wrestling still likes to tie back to a lot of that stuff. You know, there's a reason why so many managers in AEW are like, have that kind of pedigree to them because of what they did in the ring previously. And I think it's kind of introduced a lot of fans to those earlier eras and, and how, Pro wrestling kind of gained the prominence originally that it did. So, like to me, hearing you like that just feels like a, a perfect uh, experience for your dad to have to be able to share that that stuff that he grew up on with you, and to have that connection and that in way that um, through line there for mm -hmm. for that to to happen. That's. I don't know. That's what I, I love that about pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah. No, he's definitely, he's very happy. I remember um, he was insisting for like the longest time on showing me Starcade 85 was like the one pay-per-view. He was like, oh, you're a wrestling fan. We have to watch the best event of all time. <laughs> it was um, like his, one of his favorite matches, um, Magnum TA against Foley Blanchard in an oh, I quit match. Yes. Yeah. And um we watched it. I was like, "What? Is, what is this?" Because like, he hyped it up so much, and like, it just the, the sound quality where they hold the microphone up to each other and yell like, "Say I quit!" and the other guy just goes, <laughs> <laughs> "Like you, you grew up on this." <laughs> but yeah, he was very happy. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love that. Uh, that match. I, I love that match. I love that that all these things kind of came together and opened up these these avenues for you to kind of see what he grew up on and kind of see what we've now like the building blocks for what we're seeing now in a way because um you know i think sometimes that 
it can be lost by and and i think sometimes the the those older uh shows and, and older matches can be um what's the right word looked down upon by modern wrestling fans at times because of the difference in styles but like it takes like there's a basic understanding of what pro wrestling is trying to do in a lot of those matches and like knowing like seeing through that and just putting like moves to the side and understanding like, the storytelling aspect of it which i know you appreciate as well obviously yeah. um and it just i don't know like that's just uh i don't know how to really put it it's just really this i love going back and watching that old stuff because it does um kind of show you where a lot of the ideas that we have now came from and how they're being iterated on as well you know i i i you know, one of the first pieces that I wrote, remember I was covering pro wrestling, was on that Golden Lovers reunion. And, um, you know, it speaks to an entire history of um, queer representation or queer coding, rather, in pro wrestling that without all of the problematic stuff, I don't know if this would have had, it would have had a resonance, but it hits a little differently knowing like watching these culture shifts change. I don't know mm -hmm. if you felt the same way. Yeah. Um, and cause like, and that was, I didn't really have, I mean, I like retroactively went back and like found out about like the Billy and Chuck wedding and like the homophobic tropes and wrestling. Um, so that, yeah, obviously then looking back it like golden lovers are a lot more impactful, but they already were like very impactful without, that knowledge beforehand. Um, I just remember watching the Bullet Club Civil War arc. This is like taking me back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I was just so impressed by like how they handled the storylines because it was always taken seriously. Like it was like um, Matt and Nick were like worried that Coda was going to take Kenny away from them, but never like they never once like looked down on them for being a gay couple. Um, and like they took their love like very seriously, um, which is probably why they saw it as a threat because they knew that Coda and Kenny were in love um, and they, they didn't want their buddy being a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Cody was also the very interesting um, factor in that match, which when I, <laughs> I remember when I told my, um, when I asked my dad if he had ever heard of Cody Rhodes, he was like, does these boys? I was like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Cody was really interesting to me um, because he almost like became like this like bisexual villain in that because he was like, oh, well, if I date Coda, then maybe I'll be IWGP champion. And it was just like, why are you like, what? <laughs> like he was just like, I don't know. Because I, and he was married at that time too. Um, but just the fact that he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play this character to make the story more intriguing. Um, I was, that was just like so interesting to me. Now I have no idea what Cody's doing, but like I want to hold on to that dress because I've seen how good he is, like how good he is at telling stories. And now I'm just like, what? <laughs> the, and the ugly t-shirt, like. <laughs> God, yes, the t-shirts, the, the whole yeah. lot of them. But it's okay, you put a rainbow flag on one of them. So. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so no, I, talking about Cody's role in that whole storyline does bring me back a little bit as well, because like, I think, like, like you said, like that kind of gets 
kind of a little bit of like oversight, I think, when it comes to his role, because really what sparks that whole thing off is the, the handsome battle at Wrestle Kingdom. Like yeah. it's literally like Cody challenging Coda, not just in his wrestling acumen, but also in like being the cutest, like clean faced Twinkie boy in a yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cody as like that anti-hero is so like I I wrote a whole like one of one of my first like things that I wrote was like a character study on Cody. Um back when he was like I don't want to say the like traditional American nightmare, but like I think was this was like late 2020, I think. Um so it was like talking about how he's kind of the like perversion of the American dream because while Dusty came from the bottom and like worked hard and achieved that like success um Cody is born into that wealth and he is kind of like what happens a generation after the American dream is achieved and it becomes this like rotten like he's just like so spoiled and entitled and like it's such a far cry from what Dusty was and like that's why I thought the character was so neat um so then part of that kind of like entitlement came out um when he was in New Japan, especially his envy of Kenny, um, because he wanted everything that Kenny had. Because <laughs> Kenny was the Bullet Club leader, and he was probably the top gaijin in New Japan. Um, so anything that uh, that Kenny had, Koda, not Koda, <laughs> Cody wanted to take for himself. Um, yeah, so that included like the Bucks' friendship when he would like manipulate them into. Um, distrusting Kenny and even distrusting each other which that was another part of the story I liked because I hated the dumb um like the trope where like characters just wouldn't talk to each other and then it would end up in this like terrible like civil war with uh the Avengers I was yeah. like, just talking out like, <laughs> but like with the bugs actually Cody would try to manipulate them and then the next scene they would just go and be like did Cody talk to you like that and like it would just be resolved right away and I was like why are wrestlers <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that's a sidetrack but yeah um it's just cody um trying to take the bucks and then trying to take coda too um while having brandy which I, she was fine with that brandy was also one of my favorite characters because <laughs> she like she also kind of broke the trope of like when there's all male characters and one woman the woman's always like i'm always cleaning up after you boys and just like saying tropes like that it's like, mm. no, she was also pretty dumb, too. Like, she just matched the energy of everyone else in the room. And I, like, appreciated that in a weird way. Because, I was, like, you know, like, <laughs> they weren't afraid to let her be comic relief as well. Um, which then again, now, I have no idea what she's doing <laughs> in AEW. It's, it's wild to see where just a few years can take you in terms of character progression. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Um, I love Brandy's role in that as well. Like, I go back to that Ring of Honor Supercard where, like, she like kissed Kenny and was like, "Look, he likes." It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just there was just so many moving parts, and and it could have easily fallen off the rails at any point. I feel like with that many moving parts to it, but it all just fell together perfectly. Mm -hmm. And even like that storyline still has ramifications today because of Hangman, um, like his whole storyline in AEW was kind of redeeming himself from his kind of like complicity in um, 
New Japan Bullet Club because he was so he was just like a henchman at that point. And like Cody, I remember I think he was one of the people who like was holding Kenny down when Cody was gonna attack him with a chair and then Coda ran in and that's when they reunited. But like um Adam was very like just did not stand up for himself at all and was just like led around to be just like brute. <laughs> but then that said AEW kind of kept up with that storyline. Um I think they've kind of exhausted it now. <laughs> so, like, I don't know how much more you can like bring up Bullet Club Civil War. <laughs> but, um, I mean, all all of the bows have been put on it in a way with, with Paige mm-hmm. beating Omega, and now mm-hmm. we're on to the next four five year arc for for everybody involved. Yeah, That's, yeah. I wish AEW gave the same love <laughs> to the rest of the like company. Because I know it's hard because, like, these guys have, like, a storyline that goes back to, like, 2017, like, before the company even existed. But, like, if we can, like, get that level of storytelling in AEW throughout the whole company, like, it's going to be the best, like, wrestling story-wise, not just in the ring, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Like, I'm hoping that 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 aspect of it is something that we get more focus on because like obviously like there's a a lot of criticism to go around and not just because of events of the past week um yeah yeah. so i don't know i i'm i'm curious to see if if those things improve but i swear to god if i see dan lambert on my tv again i don't know why they keep bringing him back this is so bad anyway but I, okay, we can talk about Dan Lambert for like an hour, but like I, I'd rather talk about, about you and your experiences. So you, the Golden Lovers bring you back. You started getting more into pro wrestling, sort of like your dad showing you some older stuff as well. You started to watch some of the American companies, AEW pops off, all that good stuff. At what point do you feel like going into the wrestling media is something that you want to do? Um, I think it was summer of 2020 (laughs) um because i like i like writing um actually i have um a history major that i'm hopefully going to finish in a semester (laughs) (laughs) granted everything goes well i don't want to jinx it um yeah so that kind of like um writing about history has always been like one of my like career options um but then a lot of that takes like getting a PhD or at least a master's and I was like I don't have the money for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um but then I realized that in um wrestling there's a lot of like untapped um potential in writing about the storylines in it like not even just like the history of the sport itself which is I've written about that and like that's a very interesting thing but even just like the more like in character like it's like a very long soap opera and I feel like when you piece it together it's like it's really interesting um so kind of taking that like historical lens and applying it um was a lot of fun it, yeah because it started out I was just like this new site near falls formed <laughs> and they were looking for writers so then I started writing um just like very light-hearted stuff um and then it, it kind of took off from there so <laughs> <laughs> no I mean that's a really an a, a interesting kind of approach to it in a way because like not knowing that you were a history major but like reading your stuff it very much 
feels like you're like diving into a lot of the aspects that have built up, whether it be a match or a mask or uh, a storyline or a rivalry, anything like that. A lot of it does feel like a bit of an ex- a bit of an explainer, a bit of like understanding the foundations of why these things are have the prominence that they do, but also like further explaining like how that prominence has been built upon and what it means going forward and in pro wrestling as well which you know i'd say especially like as the wrestling media landscape has developed we're seeing more sites take that approach when it comes to covering Mm -hmm. pro wrestling which is awesome to see I, i will always shout out fan fight for what they do over there because like i feel like they've basically taken that model and made it into an entire brand over mm-hmm. there as well. And it's very evident in, in the stuff that, that you put out. Like there's a lot of attention put to the stuff, not just the, the present, but the stuff that built the present up in a way. So it's interesting to hear that you're a history major because of that, because I feel like it definitely like it, there, there are definite like connections there. Yeah, because I feel like I always accidentally write history papers no matter what I'm trying to write. <laughs> um, so <laughs> but if you lean into it, then it can it's a deliberate thing. It's an artistic choice. <laughs> I feel you. Coming from uh, English major background, like I feel uh, like yeah. everything I put together is like an argumentative essay. It's just like, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe pull back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. Just, and then even like the more that you discover about wrestling the more you like realize how little you knew before (laughs) so like looking back on like some of the stuff i wrote in like 2020 i was like (laughs) i'm kind (laughs) of dumb (laughs) um yeah i mean that means you're growing though so it's it's all good (laughs) exactly it's a natural process like i think anybody who like publishes their their stuff and no matter what form of writing it is like they will always look back on the things that they wrote like a year or two previously just be like yo this is garbage (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is it is interesting because i'm getting to the point where i do have a bit of like a back catalog that i can look at um and be like like oh i remember um back when kenny and adam were tag team champions i like wrote i was like i think they're seems like making a new four horsemen stable but I, I thought it would be um, FTR, Sean Spears, and Hangman. But then mm. it turns out it's MJF, not Hangman. Um, <laughs> but I was like, that one was right. <laughs> you got three uh, of the four, right? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> um, and then it's also interesting, like, I wrote um, about how Santana and Ortiz should leave the inner circle. And, like, people are still saying that today. I was like, Ugh, I could just repost this every week. <laughs> god it is it is interesting to see how like cyclical those things can be you know especially when covering like a a specific aspect of pro wrestling as well like just to see these sort of like whether it be like storytelling or um you know personal character development processes just kind of like repeating itself even down to booking like let's be i mean like for all the complaints that that Actually, I'm not even going to characterize it that way. The, all of the complaints about WWE booking, it's, it's all a cyclical 
in a way that just makes it personally yeah. uninteresting. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I think Raw peaked for me when it was Mustafa um, and Mansoor against um, Mace and T Bar. And it was some like combination of that every week. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> those are like, four of my favorites. And then when people are like, Raw is so repetitive, it's boring. And I was like, Raw is so repetitive. I love it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then of course they broke up. Mustafa and um Asura did. Well, I'm like, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I can understand that because I think that they're I think everybody has at least like one of those pairings that does kind of get overplayed but it still works for you i know for me it's not the exact one-to-one because like despi and hiromu are not facing each other every week but any time that despi and hiromu are in a ring together i am planted in front of a in, yeah. front, of a, in front of a screen it's just i need to watch the wrestle kingdom match I fell asleep. oh it's <laughs> trust me it have you have you seen hiromu's gear yet no, I haven't. Oh my God, you are in for a treat. We're gonna. I, I have another show this week where we're talking about Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but I, I'm just gonna spoil a little bit now. Hiromu never fucking misses. Yeah, never. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's such an icon. He's another. Um, I guess when you talk about like being like queer coded in wrestling, he is up there. Um, because he was one of the ones I quickly discovered after um starting to watch new japan because i think his look and like everything about him he, he just like draws you in um yeah so he <laughs> i go back and forth um about like when you talk about like lgbt rep in um wrestling i'm like would you count because <laughs> 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 like everything about them says that they are queer men but that they never actually come out and say it um which is There's... like half New Japan roster, to be honest. <laughs> Not half, that's a lot, but like a lot. No, there's there's a definite like connection there. And like I always hesitate to like speak about people that aren't like out of their own volition in that way, pers- like for me, but at the same time, so much about like New Japan storylines and especially with Hiromu and Despi. Um, even to an extent with like show and yo at this point now like there are definite things that you can read into and this is kind of goes back to golden lovers as well because like you know neither kenny or coda are publicly out you know but yet they still have a lot of resonance for queer individuals that are watching for wrestling because you know they are leaning so heavily into this idea of of a same-sex relationship and having this love between men um, in the, in a very similar very similar way, but distinctly different way than you see with Hiromu and Despi. Um, mm-hmm. And but at the same time, there's so much subtext you can read into. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very like because I feel like Koda and Kenny represent like a healthy <laughs> relationship, and then Despi and Hiromu are like let's make the most toxic relationship <laughs> possible. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I remember, um, when Despy used to bring his opponent's flowers to the ring, I was like, oh, and then he would never, he always got rejected, but it it was sweet that he tried. Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, and then Hiromu bringing him the dead flowers one time, I was like, this is a moment, like, this 
Jesus. <laughs> like there's like that's like it's like oddly poetic for something from pro wrestling. Um, yeah, I could write a whole thing piece on that. <laughs> I'd be here for um, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment, sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. I do want to talk about, like, your, your you know, you're not, like, heavily focused on Lucha, but you do have a focus on Lucha in your mm-hmm. coverage. I'm curious about where that love of Lucha came from in a way. Like, obviously you mentioned like Penta and and Phoenix kind of being an entry point, but like what kind of led you down that rabbit hole further into Lucha based off of that? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So Phoenix and Penta were definitely the breaking off point because again, when you work backwards from the golden lovers, Um, but yeah, watching their matches in AAA, and even just like little um, indie promotions in Mexico and like the crash has a really good, like they have a lot of like YouTube presence because it's difficult because I don't have access <laughs> to Mexican TV. So, like, um, but when I do legally stream it, wink, wink, <laughs> like, I can't like, that's how I um, kind of access it the most. Um, I think just like the vibrancy of it, because um, I really, if like because the personalities that I've named so far like Despi and Hiromu and like Golden Lovers are very like out there personalities and Lucha Libre has a lot of that so and I feel like the storytelling is a lot richer when you have those like personas like Ray Phoenix who like he's my favorite of all time (laughs) I think him and Kenny are like um yeah but like just like the idea of like him personifying the idea that you can rise from the ashes and like he's just like such a baby face that like I don't know I just I like I fell in love with him (laughs) and then Penta is like even more interesting almost because he's like 
the Venom Jr. who somehow became more popular than <laughs> Spider-Man. Like, it's very, like, that's another thing I like about Lucha, it's just like the weird, like, like, how did that happen? <laughs> and like, like the Ninja Turtle team, I was like, how, like, <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't know, it's kind of like nuts stories that are like very, like, entertaining. Um, and obviously it's not a perfect industry because pro wrestling in any country has its flaws. But Very true. Um, yeah, definitely just like the colorful personalities. Um, like I don't, <laughs> I, I would prefer to watch um, two like masked heroes than like um, I don't know two like regular guys who were <laughs> who are just like oh I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like which that has its time and place too. But um, I think when the brighter the personalities, the more I'm gonna like it generally. <laughs> Hmm. Once you started kind of watching some of the, the more prominent companies in Mexico, like were there anybody, was there anybody that we don't necessarily see on American television that really stood out to you initially? Um, Vikingo, I can't say his name. El ah. <laughs> the son of the Viking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he he's any year <laughs> like this year, got to be his breakout year. Um, in America, I mean, because he's already like such a baby face um, in Mexico. But yeah, just like he like defies gravity, <laughs> like more so than Ray Phoenix does. And that's crazy to say because um, Ray Phoenix is already pretty inhuman. But yeah, he's got a, he's up there on a list of like the radar <laughs> people to keep your eye on. Um, Mr. Iguana, I also really like. I have a date with him coming up in June. I was at a bachelorette contest for Exo Lucha. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, Mr. Iguana was bachelor number one. I think Bad Dude Tito was two, and then Taurus was three. Um, yeah, you can watch that on YouTube also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think it would be it would be disloyal of me <laughs> to not name Mr. Iguana. Um, of course, now I'm blanking on every other name. The Rainbow Kid we've seen. Um, yeah. He's another one who's, yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are top three of mine. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a that's a really good top three. Like, you know, I I, wa I, I watched a lot of Triple A whenever it was on American television, like when I lived in on the East Coast and was transfixed by it but you know it's very much about access in a way and once i lost access to that i kind of like in a similar fashion like i, I kind of fell off a little bit and so you know mr iguana is someone who is like fairly new to me which is mm -hmm. wild to think about like you know what he's been doing and and, and how talented he is and for me to just like have that blank spot like cured in a way um is is awesome to see um i'm curious to ask you like obviously you know being L lgbtq representative in, in wrestling media covering lucha um lucha is one of the aspects of pro wrestling that i feel has um kind of embraced lgbtq identities in a better way historically Mm -hmm. Then a lot of like American uh, or or Japanese um, 
regions of pro wrestling, you know, obviously with the Exoticos. And there's plenty to say about some of the more problematic historical elements of Exotico representation in, in Lucha Libre. But for the most part, like you have a ton of, of legends in the Exotico ranks of Lucha that, you know, have kind of risen above that and come to redefine that role in a way. Like obviously you have like you know, Pimpinella and Cassandro and now we're seeing like this this um newer uh group that, that's coming in as well. I oh I say newer but like Mamba's been around for a while and Mamba is dope. Um and then you know Estrella Divina and um and, and it's more so you're seeing uh characters that are not like queer coded like being played by straight people but more people that are just able to be out in in their roles like what was it like for you to kind of discover that aspect of, of lucha and and what's your feelings on on kind of the evolution of exotica is that what you're saying yeah it's kind of like a, a two-faced thing because you like cassandra is the one that i know the most about by, by far which i feel like that's the case for a lot of people i mean he's required uh, reading yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> um, but, like, on one hand, it's, like, so nice to see these, like, unapologetically queer personalities. Um, but then when you learn about what they had to go through, um, it kind of, like, introduces you to the very ugly underbelly of um, Lucha Libre and pro wrestling in general. Um, I feel like the fact that people like Cassandra are able to stand out in such a like a, a typically hyper masculine space, um, I think that like says a lot about um, how we've progressed as a culture in general. And I'm not, I am kind of lumping Mexico and the U.S. together right now, but um, yeah, I think it also kind of I think Lucha was a good avenue for that because of the like the vibrancy of personalities that we were talking about. Um, where like, I think someone, I'm trying to think of like the equivalent of like an, ex I guess would gold dust count? <laughs> I mean, historically, yes, I think. Cause like, you know, Exotico's previous to like, I'd say like the nineties, whenever you had Pimpinella and Cassandra kind of coming into their own, a lot of it was like that sort of like queer baity, um, mm -hmm. like heel aspect of them because they're like rubbing up on their opponents and stuff like that and that was very prevalent in people like Adrian Street and Gold Dust and like all these other queer coded characters you know that while they gave a lot of wrestling fans myself included a bit of like their first taste of representation in, in the industry it was very much a dual blade in the yeah. same way that you're speaking of because like a lot of the problematic elements of those characters and the way that they were portrayed and treated by other characters on the programs um, really fed into the homophobic mindset that, that came along with, you know, why they were supposed to be hated or why they were supposed to be derided. Yeah. Or even like, um, I forget which La Parca it was, because <laughs> there's three, I think. <laughs> so um, many. Yeah, but it was... Uh, La Parca at an indie show in Mexico, and it was him teaming lit with Mamba and Vikingo, and they were they were the baby faces. But still, at some points during the match, like um, people would kind of mock Mamba, and like Parco would like make jokes about like, oh, what's under your skirt, like you know, like, um, and it was like, because like, <laughs> Mamba was the baby face there, but still getting some of that like 
transphobic attacks and like ridicule um so it's like it's this weird thing where like yeah they they like mamba but <laughs> if this is how they treat <laughs> like uh, that like gender queer um people like is it it's not perfect <laughs> it is a step forward i guess <laughs> but like uh. <laughs> yeah i mean it's definitely better but you know, as we've seen with a lot of stuff in pro wrestling, being better does not mean that you can't continue to be better. But there's not places that you can go to make um, representation or, or the treatment of certain communities um, better in, in, in gendering audiences to accept that better treatment of them as well. Because like we have like I a lot of like what I've looked at with the exoticos is like there's a lot more like fan fervor around them now like they are celebrated they are cheered but there's still very much that that a bit of that homophobic grain in there as well like obviously like like you're talking about with you know some of the the antics in ring down to psycho clown still using a homophobic chant as like one of his like major character aspects um like there's still an, an underbelly there that that needs some work, but it has definitely gotten better from you know the stories that Cassandra was told about there. Yeah, there. yeah, no, it's definitely like any like <laughs> I feel like any complaints now you can always kind of think back and be like, well, at least at least we're going forward <laughs> um, <laughs> for a little bit of inspiration. <laughs> Now, I'm curious to ask you, because like, I know you're in the media now, but you've stated multiple times uh, how your desire is to kind of get into the, the writer's room at mm -hmm. a major company, um, whether it be WWE or AEW or whoever it might be. Like, there's a, definitely a desire there for you. What has kind of like informed that desire for you? Yeah, I think just because um, a lot of my focus is on storytelling. And obviously, if you want to tell stories, like get into the writer's room. Um, I think also just so much of the journalism side of it is like um, motivated by clicks only. <laughs> so it's like you Yo, that, like, yeah, I can feel you. <laughs> yeah, it's like you get that like kind of clickbaity headline um, to get, and like that, like because that's what makes you money. So like I get why that happens. But like I don't like, <laughs> I don't love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, I keep like joking that like I really want AEW to like create a writers team. Like I, I'm trying to invent a job for myself. <laughs> um, even though they probably would not hire me because it would take one search for my Twitter and they'd be like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember I started applying for um wwe jobs which not banking on that being the most secure thing <laughs> but um yeah i think but that's the good thing about the wrestling business now is that wwe isn't the end-all be-all so like you can like if i go work there then like that'd be great but i also know if things don't work out there there are other places that i could land um so i think that is kind of the most likely option at this point um until, <laughs> yeah, especially considering that Tony Khan makes fun of the, like, we don't have 27 writers. And it's like, well, maybe you should have 27 writers. <laughs> maybe you could have 28. Like, 
uh, and a PR team, but <laughs> just very, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely like being on the inside and like working on the stories itself, like stories themselves. Because um, talking about them is always fun, but like, like telling them would be even more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, like seeing like that has kind of become a, a focus for you. Um, like what kind of stories do you want to tell? Oh, the cheesiest <laughs> I kind of joke that like oh I I tweet out so occasionally but like you know lately I've been like in love with love stories in wrestling and that's why I think um like <laughs> if we do ever get like another I want to say another golden lovers because it's not like every gay couple in wrestling is the golden lovers but like um just I feel like that avenue is so like that could be so good because like you have like index was like my favorite storyline um as of late because it was like just the way that kind of went from like a little joke to like oh they have genuine feelings for each other and then it all culminated to this like really like it was just such a cute I remember I like I cry extremely easily <laughs> and I remember like when Dexter like the first words you hear him say or I do I was just like that's so nice <laughs> crying <laughs> but um just yeah it's like with a same-sex couple you could have them actually in matches and like how would that play out like um you could have like cheesy moments where like maybe they're in a tournament and the one's like no I love you and I want you to win this <laughs> it's like you know like there's just so many like more because you, you can't have mixed matches um unfortunately in WWE um so I feel like a same-sex couple opens up a lot more storytelling avenues um that I feel like that would be a really fun thing to be a part of but we'll see if that ever happens because <laughs> I mean like I feel like NXT is the most um I want to say like romance focused because <laughs> they have they had Index now they have Zion and Electra, and then they had I don't even remember what was Blake Christian's WWE name was it still Blake Christian Trey Baxter Trey I yes that was a, I don't know why I pulled that off the top of my head <laughs> like but yeah, yeah then him and Cora um like you had like three couples at the same time um so I almost feel like it would most likely come from there but if if Cota comes to AEW <laughs> like that yeah that it that's one of my 2022 hopes <laughs> is that we see Kota Bushi um in AEW because I've already I've already plotted out the whole thing in my head with how Kenny's gonna turn face um because he's gonna come back and like maybe the Bucks or now the Bucks might turn on Adam first so Adam Cole because uh, <laughs> there's two Adams but yeah because that's what turned Kenny face in New Japan was that he had Coda there um so if they do that again like that could that would work I look I, <laughs> I think about this so much <laughs> No, it's interesting to hear. He's like, I, I am with you, and that I, I hope that we see Kota Ibushi in an AEW ring sometime this year, and especially like looking at how his presence, like even though it was mainly a a fan sign at the the Page Omega match, like seeing that there's still an influence there um, mm -hmm. would play so well into something that you could do in that company. Um, I there is a moment I thought that sign was a plan also. <laughs> oh, I would not be surprised at all if that sign was a plan. Yeah. 
because the way that they the camera like played to it and Kenny took that moment and stared at it, I was like, bro, like it was <laughs> almost too good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, but it's interesting how you bring up like like same sex romance storylines because I feel like you know we've seen Sonya Deville be very vocal about mm-hmm. wanting to do um uh you know same sex not necessarily same sex. Okay, so her comments have kind of been uh, all over the place over the past few years of wanting to do like LGBTQ representation and storylines at WWE. Um, but then her most recent comments talking about like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a same sex romance that, that's going on. And I think that sometimes that being the, the first place that a lot of people jump to can sort of stereotype the things that LGBTQ people can do in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to get, get your thoughts like, um, on what on what Sonia has meant in her ability to be vocal while still being on on the WWE roster about trying to push for these things. Obviously, nothing's come to fruition yet. And mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real: like the last time that any real focus was put on uh, an LGBTQ identity in WWE was uh, whenever we saw um, the the Lana Bobby Lashley bullshit yeah. from over a year ago and Sonya made her feelings very fucking clear about that so I'm, I'm just curious that's to kind of get weird. your sorry that's such a weird that whole segment was such a mess like especially like Lana kissing um Bobby's makeup off his face I was like oh no <laughs> like, <laughs> um yeah I know definitely like just having a prominent LGBT character is such like a good thing like Sonya um being out there in her little suit like that's such a cool moment on its own um and like I'm trying to think about like because you don't want to have a homophobic heel like <laughs> yeah I guess you could if, if it ultimately leads to the like queer baby face getting like revenge on them I guess like and I just hate when like heels use like actual bigotry <laughs> um Same. yeah um I also, I always lean towards love stories no matter what. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, so that's, I don't want to say like the only person, the only thing a gay person can do is fall in love with another gay person. Um, that's just like, I'm always thinking about like, yeah. As soon as any wrestling company teases, like these two might be in love. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> they're in love. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't read her most recent comments, but um. I definitely love Sonya and just like everything that she's doing just yeah just even like she's not even in the ring but just like having yeah yeah having a gay character be taken seriously is already such a huge like moment for me no for sure and from one person who isn't really in the ring to another person who isn't really in the ring in WWE that you have some like built this this connection this bond with talk to me about Mustafa Ali please like how has this kind of developed for you uh this 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 like sort of like online friendship with, with my, Mustafa? Bestie. my bestie yes yes your bestie please talk Uh-oh. to me how did how did you and mustafa ali like become such such uh such uh intertwined people here <laughs> um yeah i mean he's very like he's not the most vocal with fans um but like I feel like he does like him and like MJF I, they're both like heels so they kind of keep tabs on like fans and they like get some little shout outs I shouldn't say too much about MJF because he values kayfabe more than his life 
but um, <laughs> it was yeah Mustafa I think I made like an edit that was like the the I think I called it like the tragedy of Mustafa Ali because he's had one of the best um in my best I mean saddest <laughs> character developments um in WWE because he came in like with 205 Live this like like bright-eyed baby face who was all like he was so determined to like stop um prejudice against Muslims obviously I'm not Muslim <laughs> but um yeah just like seeing him um slowly kind of give in to like like he became so jaded and almost gave up on his like dream that like you can change someone's perception about you um because now like his I think his last um promo before I think he was on mater not maternity leave paternity leave <laughs> um was like you guys hate me because my name is Mustafa Ali um and just like that was such like um I think it got kind of clowned on but once you actually think about it like it was such like a sad moment because it showed that the the heart and soul of 205 Live was like dead um because he was no longer of the belief that like you could um erase bigotry from people's minds like he was just like content to live with it um and now I think he's going to come back with his like new America gimmick um and that'll be interesting I I really want to see him versus Cody Rhodes in a promo battle <laughs> I'll never <laughs> but like I just think that would be the most interesting thing um yeah no I yeah so I made the edit um and then he like <laughs> made his own <laughs> based on mine I was like what are you doing um that's yeah and then he gave me the shout out which I made my twitter header immediately the like big up <laughs> for the inspiration I was like yes but it's also funny because he used the same song too and it was like Greta uh Greta Von Cleet let my love slowed reverb <laughs> um but yeah I also that song um it's also kind of picked on purpose because of the light um imagery in it because that was so much of Mustafa's character is that he would like chase the light and like he would get like you know he <laughs> he is one of the few people in WWE that I feel like has such um consistent character but not even consistent that he's like the same but just like that you can follow it like you know like I feel like a lot of times um people just like come in with a new gimmick and they're like unrecognizable uh from who they were before but Mustafa is like Mustafa I always say Mustafa my ugly New Jersey accent <laughs> but um yeah he's like when you actually look at the like progression of his character it's like it's like very sad but it's also just such a like a fascinating story I really hope it ends with him turning baby face again <laughs> but especially when you involve Mansoor in it that was such an interesting thing too because he became the very thing that he promised to protect Mansoor from it was so like no <laughs> I feel like poetic tragedy something I'm like no <laughs> God, it's it's so like it's so interesting to kind of like see these like stories develop and to also watch how WWE like kind of misses the mark in terms of like hitting these story beats and and we're not realizing what they have on their hands just because it doesn't play into like a lot of the um more straightforward aspects of of wwe booking and the the psyche of booking at least there because like there's like this 
all sounds like so riveting to hear you explain it in that way. But like, if you would go and watch them on Raw, like they don't do anything. None of that comes through. None of it. Yeah, it's you have to like dig for it. Um, and then even now they're just like they're letting that storyline kind of wither. Um, with Mansoor, I mean, because um, he I think really had the potential to turn Mustafa babyface for good. Um, because it was whereas Mustafa is like jaded now. Mansoor still has that optimism that Mustafa had. Um, so you could have had Mansoor, especially because he's been beating Mustafa. You could had you could have had him say like, "There is good things. <laughs> there are good things in the world, and like you can still embrace them, and it'll like it'll bring it will make you stronger." But instead, they just kind of separated them <laughs> forever. <laughs> so like, okay. Um, uh, well, I'm hoping that they do bring them back together and, and that we do see something like that because I, I really enjoyed watching uh Mustafa kind of develop and his like his promos he's been posting online have been outstanding I I love it whenever you see a a, a, a wrestler put as much into their character development and, and especially taking the reins of that character development in, in, in the way that he has it just comes across as way more authentic, I think. And it just, but also it kind of like gives that doubt of like, all right, well, whenever he does come back to TV, is any of this going to stick whenever it gets into the hands of other people? Like, it's just frustrating to see. Um, to that end, though, I do want to ask you about Von Wagner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to know it was coming. Yeah. I'm so shocked he hasn't blocked me. Like, I'm, like, really surprised. (laughs) Okay. So, please explain to me what, okay, what was the impetus for Come Tuesday? (laughs) He took us such a weird pause. (laughs) But it was, like, I think it was was when he challenged Kyle to the cage match. He was like, you want to leave that steel cage up come Tuesday? <laughs> like, he, like, it wasn't, like, the way he said it. This is my other major linguistics, the whole plot twist. But, like, <laughs> the inflection <laughs> there was so questionable. Because it wasn't, you want to leave that cage up come Tuesday. It was, you want to leave that cage up pause come Tuesday. <laughs> like, it was just like, why? So it was, <laughs> like oh. the, the the speaking pattern you just like insert the comma it's like oh, okay so we're doing we're doing multiple things here all right and he said it twice in the same promo i was like stop like <laughs> um yeah so then i kind of I like clipped it and then posted that and then of course <laughs> of course the articles that i spent like hours writing like they get they get some love but like come tuesday everyone's like this is great <laughs> like, <why? laughs> Like someone messaged me this morning. I was like, we started a Facebook group for Come Tuesday. I was like, why? That's fucking beautiful. <laughs> he still he hasn't acknowledged it, which I don't even think he uses social media at all. Which good for him because I would feel bad. Yo, if he living his on. best life. Yeah. Also, it's very funny how Von Wagner actually debuted on I think it was SmackDown during the the quarantine the empty performance center era um and with his real name he was cal bloom um oh no my dogs are barking <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that'll pick up 
but um yeah it was just like so he was a normal person and then all of a sudden he came back as Von Wagner which is the most WCW sounding name like I'm just so like he's just I also I I always prefer people as baby faces so I thought when he was kind of like the big goofy baby face guy I was like oh this is great but now he's like trying to be intimidating I'm like no <laughs> and the first promo he dropped as a heel was the come Tuesday one I'm like no <laughs> oh. wishing him the best though <laughs> I just I just love like how something like that can just get picked up and uh just come to like define your timeline for so long now like is it's it's just and i will commend you for like weathering that so far as well like you're still having fun with it obviously but yeah i understand the feeling just like this this is what this is what got y'all like talking following and whatnot Even no, because this is a very special day. Because this is the first Come Tuesday of 2022. Oh, day. you are right. As we are recording, yeah. it is the first Come Tuesday. Yeah, I bet he's not even gonna have a match. I bet, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just give him a backstage promo. It'll be all right. Exactly. Um. Yeah. I also started editing those videos because I'm trying to get better at editing. Um. Because I'm very bad with technology. Um, so I thought like if I make little like YouTube poop style videos <laughs> that'll help me get more comfortable with like editing software and stuff um and it's had questionable results but <laughs> but results nonetheless so oh uh, it's I don't know it's really fun to to like see these more like absurd aspects of pro wrestling get highlighted it's one of the things i really like because like i don't necessarily get to lean into a lot of that and what i do for coverage and so i just revel in it on my personal time so much and come tuesday has been uh a hilarious thing to follow over the past month or so it's just been really just fun it up on the twitter search because you oh so yeah no <laughs> you go in kainino mode if you want yeah. to go that route. It turns out it used to be a thing in like 2011, but it was a very different thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to kind of like wind you down a little bit here, but I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously being um, a queer person in wrestling media, uh, I have like seen you kind of start covering other like queer figures in pro wrestling as well like i watched your interview with uh with garnet and i I really enjoyed that um is focusing on like queer identities in pro wrestling something that you want to kind of continue doing as you kind of stay in the media field depending on where you go after after that yeah i feel like it's like just because as a queer person i feel like i kind of need to at least keep that with me if it's not the forefront of my career like I can't like um ever yeah Garnet I love her and then um also I got to interview Fred Rosser um for Fightful mm. and that was really cool um because yeah if you want to talk about like LGBT names and wrestling obviously Fred Rosser Darren Young at that point um yeah that was I feel like I don't want to say that I would be like lying to myself to not do that <laughs> but like I feel like it is just like such an important like um thing especially because it's what got me into wrestling in the first place um yeah because I I 
highly doubt that if it wasn't a queer person that the golden lovers would have like had me in trance as much as they did um yeah so if it, if I do end up being on a creative team for some show I'm gonna be pushing for more um for representation maybe they won't want <laughs> the k-love storyline but um I will be not I actually have on my notes app I have a list of wrestling gimmick ideas and a lot of them are terrible <laughs> so, um but yeah I will yeah definitely I think um you can't just like not be gay. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's just intrinsic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my last question for you, um, I always like to end on a fun one and I feel like I can't have you on the show and be talking about your series looking at Lucha Masks without asking you just straight up, what's your favorite Lucha Mask of all mm-hmm. time? um i think ray phoenix just came to mind first but he's just my favorite in general i know (laughs) bushi actually has a lot of really nice ones um i know during june sometimes he he wears like a rainbow holographic mask um which is another like he's not out yet but like yeah (laughs) not out period (laughs) yeah but but still signals it's just like that's such a cute little like like during June too like that's right um um I think that one definitely stands out El Desperado's white mask also which I Mm. I think he wore yesterday I remember the first time he wore that I think he used to wear it like when he fought when he was a baby face um so when he wore it it was the best of super juniors finals in 2020 um that I had like take a breath <laughs> like wearing white in lucha libre like it's serious like <laughs> um yeah i'm sure if i found a specific one of ray phoenix like if i like thought about it and i could remember any i love his like orange masks like because i think that is like the, the he's a phoenix so like any like fiery mask um of his i like a lot but i also like all of his masks so <laughs> <laughs> I gave you like four different answers <laughs> honestly that's the kind of like the perfect thing though because like that's one another thing I love about Lucha is just like there's so much creativity that it makes it hard to pick honestly because like you know a lot of I love a lot of what Pinta does with, with mm-hmm. his I love a lot I do I love a lot of like Bushi um but at the same time like I think back to like you know Atlantis is a favorite like an all-time favorite of mine um and and of course like the goat laparca like yeah. the laparca mask is just like iconic at this point so mm-hmm. like there's just so much to kind of to, to look at and pull from even like you know for all the the shit that he gets like cybernetico's like first mask like i still i still get it. i still fuck with that yeah. honestly oh, titan has some really good masks too yes yeah they're like they're beautiful I'm like what <laughs> i was like i don't know how he manages to like wear them i was like i would want to like keep that behind glass like, <laughs> <laughs> um, i also i love masks that show like family connections i know um Rouge and dragon lee do that a lot because i'll have like half of it is like dragon lee's design the other half is el toro blanco um i also i speak spanish like it's french because i don't speak spanish but i speak french so my brain is like anything that's not english must be french <laughs> so <laughs> but that's another New Year's resolution, just to actually learn Spanish. Um, 
but yeah no i think because a lot of um not only just colors in a mask but also like lineage and um when you get into like the mythological creatures that inspire a character like it's just like so much can be said about the the persona just by looking at the mask that's that's why i started a series on it (laughs) (laughs) no and and i really enjoyed that series and and i'm curious to see whenever you have another one coming out i highly suggest y'all go read it it's it's a a fun account of, of a lot of uh lucha masks out there um lizzie thank you so much for, for coming on the show um let everybody know where they can find you online and where they can uh read your your work yeah i'm on twitter at lizzie with l-i-z-z-y and an x lucha um i have a kofi page that <laughs> everything is linked on my twitter but yeah most of my stuff is on uh, nearfalls.com then i have an article up on fightful with the fred rosser the interview and then an article on fan fight <laughs> and then a lot of stuff on my Kofi, which is more like again to like fiction stuff which is that's that's just very fun um and i have merch on what a maneuver i really need to make like a link tree or something <laughs> but yeah so but mostly twitter mostly twitter lizzie x <laughs> oh. well thank you so much lizzie <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so normally I stutter and ask questions, but now I'm stuttering and answering them. (laughs) My thanks once again to Lizzie for coming on the show. Uh, It's a fun conversation. I love how Lizzie kind of built out all these different aspects to her writing, everything from from Come Tuesday to like serious discussions about uh, the meaning of Lucha masks and uh, various matches and moments in pro wrestling history. It's really fun. Check out her stuff at Near Falls, uh, Fightful, Lucha Central, uh, and Fan Fight, uh, and wherever else she might pop up here. Um, all good stuff. And, you know, we recorded this interview prior to uh, this week's AEW Dynamite, so I know that she is probably feeling some emotion about uh, the arm injury that Ray Phoenix suffered on Dynamite uh, on Wednesday. But, um, you know, in, in honor of her and honestly from my heart as well, because I love Phoenix as well. Very uh, hefty. Get well soon to, to Ray Phoenix. Uh, broken arms suck. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that he will come back better than ever. Uh, but heal up soon. Heal up soon, King. <laughs> That's going to do it for us uh, for today's show. Make sure to come back tomorrow for our second show of the week and every Friday for the rest of January because, like I said, we're giving you a double dose every week. Um, we're talking Wrestle Kingdom 16 tomorrow with the, the our annual guest every year. The one time she pops up on the show every year is to talk about Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, we're bringing back Rachel Giuliani, the number one Kota Ibushi stan of all time. Um, coming back on the show to talk all about both nights in the Tokyo Dome. It's going to be a blast. Don't want to miss it. Come back tomorrow. Uh, but until then, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated and boosted if it's possible to do so. And I'm just going to say it again. Get well soon, Phoenix. Bye. See me to deal with the demon so I love a commit
666